Hello, everyone. Today on Arash's World, I have a special guest. Um, I like to think of myself as a Renaissance man, but he is far ahead in, in many ways in terms of uh, depth as well as breadth of uh, knowledge. Welcome here, Dr. Neil, Neil Farber. He's uh, a researcher, he's uh, a uh, medical specialist, he's also an author and professor, and uh, many things more. So welcome to Arash's World. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Great. Now, what I'd like to start off with is to, to just talk about you a bit. If you can just introduce yourself briefly, whatever way you like to uh, introduce yourself with, and then we'll get started with many questions. And I'm very excited to talk to you about many things that uh, will come up here in this sure. session. Glad to. I uh, grew up in a, uh, in a rural area in upstate New York. Um, from a very fairly young age, I, I knew I wanted to be a physician. And, and then um, because of an incident in high school, decided I really wanted to be an academic physician. So to teach and do research besides seeing patients. Um, I went to college at Franklin and Marshall College in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and graduated for a medical school at the University of Pennsylvania in, in Philadelphia. Um, I've been a general internist uh, my whole life because of my interest in um, sort of interacting with patients and, and talking with patients on an extended basis. And um, most of it was on the East Coast because that's where I'm originally from. But, uh, uh, 14 years ago now, we, my wife and I moved to San Diego and have been enjoying that uh, ever since. I retired uh, two years ago from University of California, San Diego as professor of medicine there. And um, then uh, just about two years ago, I uh, got the idea about writing the book, uh, which I entitled um, Serendipity, Understanding Everyday Unexpected Events to improve your life and career. Yeah, thank you very much. So uh, serendipity is something that is, uh, um, I've been fascinated with. I, it's, it's happened to me and I will talk about my experiences a bit later, but uh, it's just amazing how it's there. And I love the title that you are connecting here, common with unexpected, every day with unexpected events. And that is actually, that is happening uh, throughout our lives in our everyday life. So how would you, just to start off here, how would you define serendipity? What is it in your view? Well, I mean, it, it, it was defined by uh, Harris Walpole, who, who was an English author uh, back in the 1700s. And it's based on a, a Persian tale of three princes who are on the island of Serendip, which is modern day Ceylon, or, or is now Sri Lanka. And um, every time they thought they needed something or had a wish for something, it appeared in front of them. And it's sort of the same thing. It, but there's a difference between luck and serendipity, um, a major difference. Um, and, and that is that luck just happens to you. You don't have to be involved to do anything. It's, it's the, you know, getting a lottery ticket in the mail for your birthday, uh, rubbing it off and you've won $10 million. That's luck. Um, serendipity is um, something where you have to be involved. You have to recognize the event, um, realize that it might be something meaningful, and then take advantage of it. 
just to point out to you two coincidences that uh, has, uh, has happened. So I, I am from Iran. I was born in Iran. So when this word came from this Persian fairy tale, and uh, I went to Mexico for a few years, and um, my name Arash was hard to pronounce. So I would change my name to Horacio, which is like Horace and the person who coined the term. And uh, so just when I saw that, I thought like, here are some coincidences. I don't know what the value is here in this, but definitely there are things, connections that we see. And I like the idea of connecting the dots where you see things that maybe might not have been connected are in a subtle way. And that kind of like looking into that, seeing that connection can really give you more knowledge about yourself and which path to take. Yeah, and it, it, it also is necessary in order, a lot of times in order to recognize that a serendipitous event is really occurring. Um, yes, you have to um, have the mindset that these things are happening all the time. And my belief is, based on my own life and others that I've talked to, is that really we are encountering these things all the time. We just may not be cognizant of it. Um, but you also have, and, and you have to have, um, be observant to be able to recognize these events and, and um, be curious to, to explore them. But you're right, you do have to oftentimes uh, be able to make the connections to either your previous knowledge or experiences to say, hey, I know what's happening here. It's exactly the same thing as I read about. This may be really meaningful for me. And, and scientists have used that. There are these happy accidents when, when scientists are grappling with a problem and then they're taking a shower or they're taking a walk and suddenly they get the answer in unexpected places where they never expected it. And that's the, the thing of also like many people who are like going one path and they're stuck to say, I want to be this person. I want to go this path. This is my career. But it's actually not the best choice for them. And so they get frustrated because it doesn't work out the way they want it to work out, but in the end, it's for the better. And I just talked to uh, an author, Mike Shaw, who was, uh, who's a mountain climber, and he wanted to climb this mountain and it didn't work out, and he talks about it in his book, but it turned out because of that, he met a, another person, a girl who he sponsored and helped her with the education, and it wouldn't have, been, it wouldn't have happened if he had climb that mountain, which he wanted in the first place. So the initial feeling is a frustration of anger. This is not working out. But in many cases, there's something better coming along if we keep our eyes open. Yeah, that does happen to people. Uh, and it's happened to me many times. So how can we train for that? How can we get into the right mindset? What would you suggest? Well, there's, there's um, the, the first thing to do is accept the fact that that serendipitous events are happening all the time. Um, but once you, once you accept that, um, then um, you have to be mindful. You have to be able to um, look around you and see what's there. Um, my, one, one of the things that I've gotten to do in my retirement is to hike many of the uh, national parks in the, in the Western part of the United States. And I was hiking in Arches National Park when uh, I happened to be talking to somebody else on the trail and they said that one of the rangers told her that in fact, um, the, the average person um, who, who hikes just for the day, not, not staying over, but just for the day in, in Arches spends all of about two hours uh, in the park. And this is a park that has over 2,000 arches in it. 
it has 18 miles of paved roads and um, hundreds of miles of trails. And you see very little if, if you only spend two hours. Now I'm not critical of that person. Maybe they had other things they needed to do and all, but you lose a lot and you miss a lot. And so you, you need to train yourself to be mindful of, of what's around you, um, to take the time to be mindful of what's around you. Um, so that's the mindfulness part. Yeah, and mindfulness is something that I've learned more and more uh, about, and especially in these times where we are confined, and there is actually more time that we have thanks to COVID where I'm working from home. And um, we live close to a park and um, close to the water, and we, we take walks before too, but never have I enjoyed my walks as much as I do now, because uh, although I've done these walks many times before, I didn't really hear the birds sing. I didn't really see the scenery as much as I do now. And it's just that change of perspective where I said, oh my God, what have I missed out on all these years up to this point? But I'm glad that it's come to me. So what is it that we can do to get, I mean, I, I have different ideas about how one could reach mindfulness, but what would you, would you suggest personally? Well, there've been a lot of books written about um, training yourself to be mindful. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I would suggest uh, picking up one of those books and, and reading it in terms of the different exercises. One of the things we do as an example with our medical students who, who we train to be, try to train to be mindful is we, we give them this exercise where we give them a raisin and tell them to put it in their mouth, but don't chew it. And <clears throat> explore the, the taste, the texture, the feel, the smell uh, everything about this little raisin in their mouth. And that gives them the idea about exploring more the, the nuances and the details of, of what's around you, trying to take in the details rather than the whole picture. I think in many ways it's connected to intuition. And when we feel that something is right, but the problem is that we don't have that access much. And many times, and even with mindfulness, many people know what it is. Many people say they're practicing it, even though that may not be true, right? But it's it's that kind of connection of really connecting with your, what I would call the authentic self, where you know what is the correct path. You know that this is the right thing to do even though it seems like the wrong choice, like in terms of logic, it would be probably the worst thing you can do. But in many cases, and I found that in my personal experience as well, this was the absolute correct choice. I didn't see it at the moment. I saw it sometime after that. Do, have you gone through similar experiences as well? Sure, it's how I figured out I wanted to write the book. Um, I, I uh, you know, I've been an academic physician my whole life. I, I spent 40 years as I said, uh, seeing patients and teaching, but also doing research. I published over 60 um, scientific medical articles in, in medical journals. And my, my colleagues and friends always said to me, you've got to write a book about everything you've, you've done in terms of the research. And I, I kept saying, you know, first of all, I, um, doing that would be boring for me. I could only imagine it would be boring for somebody else just to rehash all of my, my, the research I did, whereas they could just look up the individual articles. Um, and I, I didn't have, have it within me to write a 60,000 word book, I, or at least I didn't think I did. And um, I, I kept saying this, but I also kept saying to myself, you know, you're retiring in another month or so. Um, 
and I, I knew I was going to be a docent at the San Diego Air and Space Museum, um, which I still am and love very much, but I knew that wasn't going to fulfill all my, all my time and all the things I wanted to do. So I kept thinking, what else I want to do? Well, I knew I wanted to hike some national parks and stuff, but that's once in a while. And I couldn't figure out the extra piece. And um, one night I, I, I kept thinking about it, but it, I said, you know, somehow it'll come to me. And one night uh, I went to sleep and woke up at three o'clock in the morning. Um, I guess I was having a dream, although I don't remember it. Um, sat up in bed, looked around and went, oh my, I know what book I have to write. Uh, went in a different room, wrote out the outline and knew immediately that I had to write this book. Wonderful. I, um, we, my wife has, has dreams and I call them prophetic dreams because uh, they are closely connected to what happens later on. And I don't know if, if, if you believe in that, but probably you do because when that dream has, has led you on your path here. But just to mention one of the recurring dreams she had was of waves of a tsunami hitting uh, our building here. We have a seventh floor in an apartment building. And so, and it was these, all these waves coming and we were worried about tsunamis and we would like um, ask a um, specialist because we live close to a bay. We said, is it possible? Is this something that could happen? And so it's now a, a year or two later that we see, well, waves, this is what has been happening with, with COVID to us. And she had dreams of three waves and that's what we are experiencing currently, especially where we're living. And uh, she also had a dream that she would meet somebody and she was in Mexico and she worked in a lab, she's a nurse. And she had a dream that she would meet somebody who she would fall in love with and be with. Um, so what happened is she was then transferred to another location, to another lab, to another clinic. And she was upset because she said, well, this is not the place where I will meet this person. And she didn't want to move. She wanted to stay, but they forced her to say, no, you have to move. And a week later after a move, I met her because I was a patient and I had food poisoning. So, which is bad enough in Mexico, but um, it led me towards her lab and that's how we met. However, there was another lab, which was on the other side of the street, which I didn't know about. So should I have, if I had turned left instead of right, I would have never met her and my son would not exist. So, and that made me think of all these like links and connections that we have, all these tiny things. So if my great, 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 great grandfather had not taken this road instead of that road, I would not exist in this moment. And that just makes us connect us in such a profound way that we don't realize one tiny decision can have such an effect on uh, others. Absolutely, you know, that's the thing. I mean, I, I, that's how my wife and I met uh, through a series of, of circumstances that too long to go into here, but um, was all these things that if, if they hadn't worked out the exact right way, we'd never would have met. Um, but, you know, you, you think about uh, more, ex, ex, and, and those are the personal examples we have, but you think about the examples that would affect all of us if, if somebody hadn't um, been cognizant and, and realized what kinds of things were around them. Um, for example, Alexander Fleming, when he, he discovered penicillin, <clears throat> it was by accident. Um, Somebody had opened a window in his, he was experimenting with staphylococcus, uh, a, a bacteria that causes infections of the skin. And he, he wanted to see what the staphylococcus did in, in open air. So he, he had them on Petri plates, but kept the lids off to see just like on the skin. 
and he went away for a weekend and somebody opened a window in, in his lab. Um, and unfortunately some mold blew in and landed on the plates. And he looked down and when he came back, he looked down and said, you know, they're all ruined, I'm gonna have to start over and started tossing plates. And then happened to realize that wherever there was mold growing, there was a little ring around the mold, um, a clear area. And um, that's what led him to under to be curious, to investigate, make connections, and realize that the mold was secreting something that was killing the bacteria, and it ended up being penicillin. If he had just kept on throwing out the dishes, um, we might not have ever developed penicillin, and millions more people would have died. Yes. Yes, no, that's that's a that's a wonderful story, and to to see that it's not just again our, our personal lives; it's also way beyond affecting millions of others, billions of others in that case, and and a, a wonderful coincidence there. But um, what and you mentioned luck. I mean, uh, what the thing is with serendipity, I see one of the differences is with luck, it can become in good or bad forms, but serendipity is always leading us in the right way, in the correct way, in the best possible way uh, that we can imagine. Would that be correct? Well, that's, uh, that's sort of what the take is on it. And, and generally, yes, it doesn't always become as fruitful as you would like. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, but, but it's always something that you think will be good, yes. Um, some years ago, there was a book, and I, I ended up watching the program called The Secret um, by uh, Rhonda Byrne, I believe. And um, so the idea was, um, if you basically ask the universe for something, and you believe in it, you will receive it. And it, it, it sounded like as completely unscientific as one can imagine. And I was immediately skeptical of that. However, I said, I want to give it a, a, a try because I, I am open to different viewpoints and different practices. And um, I'm not just analytical. I love uh, analyzing things. I love logic, but I'm open to another side as well. And I think the gut feeling and emotions and all that. So I said, I want to give this a try. And I had this one wish. I said, I'd like this wish to come true. And what happened is it did. And But it's not just like, wishing for like, I want a car and I get it the next day. It's not that. It's you wish for it, you create this desire, you explicitly state it, you believe in it, you work hard for it, doesn't come for free, but then it will result. So what, what is your take on that? Because it's worked for me and I don't know how and why, but it has. Yeah, I, I, I think that generally, you know, if you wish for something and you really want it, um, and as you as you put it, you're working hard for it. You're you're dedicating yourself to that, and so it's it's going to happen because of the fact that you put the effort in. Um, people have asked me, you know, how is it that we all these serendipitous events are occurring? You know, what's your take on that? What why, that why my next question? But yeah, why, why are these events happening? And you know, there there are different possibilities, and I I think it's. Um, I don't think I have an answer to that. I think everybody has their own answer and an individual belief. Um, I've talked to some people who say, well, it's just the universe is, is random. And because it's random, it has all these events that can occur because of its randomness. Mm -hmm. Others say, well, the universe has an order. And so these events happen because of this order of the universe. Other people say, well, there's some higher power that is leading us to these events. And 
I don't have an answer for that. Um, but I think the important thing is, whatever your belief is, um, to recognize that these events are happening. And the best thing for not only yourself, but society as a whole is to, to be able to recognize them and do something with them to make them meaningful. Absolutely. But I, I think I, I get angry when, when people think it's random and it's uncontrolled because like any place I look, whether like our existence, it, you change a tiny thing, you take away the oxygen and we wouldn't exist the way we are. So it's, it's, it's the perfect plan. It could have been an accident, sure, but it's like an, a very happy and immense accident. So that is more towards some sort of either plan or, or something that's structured. And when you look at the earth as well, when we look at our bodies, the way our bodies work, it's just absolutely perfect. So I, the, to say that it's all just random luck and happening, I, I cannot buy that. You know, I, I'm not saying that there's anything else, but it's that specific argument that just shake my head. Yeah, and, and I've heard others say that too. I've heard even, even uh, people who are cosmologists who, who study the origins of the universe say that without uh, one certain um, uh, uh, sort of const, uh, constant called Planck's constant, mm -hmm. um, the universe wouldn't exist at all, it'd be just energy. Mm -hmm. um, so it had to be exactly the right number. And, and they, they refer to that as this is, you know, an, an idea that, that there is some kind of higher power deciding all this. But, but whatever, whatever your belief is, it's certainly true that many things are linked and that if we, if we don't um, take the, uh, the time to, to recognize these things and use these things, we might be um, cheating. Are you? Hello? Okay, I think I missed part of it. I think it's some sort of connection issues. I missed some, so probably the internet connection. Can you just repeat your, your last, uh, things you were saying missed out sure Sorry. sure what I, what I was and let me turn on my I have a light here that I shouldn't have turned on um, that might make you see me better mm -hmm. um, so um, what I was saying is that basically whether you believe it's random or whether you believe it's 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 fate or something in the universe that makes us do this, I think the important thing is that that many things are linked, and if you don't recognize and take advantage of these opportunities, you're not only cheating yourself, but you may be cheating society as a whole. Absolutely, yes, yes, I love that. And for me, actually, in a way, I don't think they are coincidences, and uh, that just might be me. But it's I believe these are certain signs given to us, and um, so it's basically trying to connect us with what's important, which is again what I would call our authentic self, not the self that we have that our parents think of us, that society thinks of us, um, but it's the perception of who we really are. 
So when when you state something like as a child you wanted to become a physician and that was something you you wanted to do and that's exactly it you you followed what what your dream was what, what your calling was and now you have a slightly different path as well at this point I want to take it towards writing this book and sharing my experiences. I, as a child, always wanted to be a writer, but I didn't follow up on that because I ended up becoming uh, an instructor of languages, because I love languages, which I enjoy too. But it's it's kind of like when we get sidetracked and um, and we're maybe also afraid, and I think fear is something that stops us from seeing these, these uh, signs that are out there because we're afraid we're not good enough, it's not going to work out, we won't make enough money in that specific job or profession. Yeah, it can be fear. It, it also can be, you know, you get sort of comfortable in mm. what you're doing. And um, it, it takes some courage um, to, to take a path that's different from what you expected or what the norm is. Mm. Um, but sometimes that's necessary. It's absolutely necessary. One of, one of the things that uh, one of my other wishes was, and again, following with that, that secret, a couple of years ago, I was in, in a very bad shape in terms of my health. And so um, I had high blood pressure, diabetes type 2, I have sleep apnea and everything. And there's a number of different things that was happening. And I was over obese, actually. And so at one point, and on actually my son's birthday, I, I made a pledge and I said, you know what, I'm not going to continue with what I'm doing and I will find a way out of this and I want to be healthy and I want to defeat all these things. Now, I've had a lot of improvement. My, my blood pressure is fine and uh, I still need some blood tests to do, but if overall, I feel much, much happier, much better. And so, and this is against the advice of uh, my, my physician who would say like diabetes cannot be cured and this is something chronic and you're stuck with. And, and I, I just can't, could not buy that. And the idea of also when they say, okay, you need to lose weight. But I said, well, get how? And I tried intermittent fasting, which for me worked wonders. But then I went to a diabetes class. They said, do not do that. It will cause harm. And I had the courage of doing it and risking it and using myself as an experiment. And I've never felt better than, than now. And so whether I will reach that, and that's one of my goals. And once I do, I want to write a book about that so, so others can, can get the, the insight and experience that I've had. But when that happens, then um, that'll be wonderful. But even now, at this point, like I said, I walk out and I hear the birds. And I never did that before because I was trapped in my fears in this ignorance that I had, in these wrong perceptions uh, of myself and of others. And now I feel liberated in many ways. Yeah, and, and, and taking the time is it, to be able to hear the birds, to be able to see the things around you is, is a remarkable thing. And, and we are driven in our society by just constantly working. And it seems like a badge of honor when you say, I'm a workaholic. And when, when somebody says I'm a perfectionist, when somebody says that, I say, you have a serious problem. I don't see it as something commendable, but I used to be one of those people as well. I'm not saying that, I'm not judging them. I'm just saying that, you know what? This is not the right path. And now I, I've taken, uh, I, I've said to myself, I will take Sundays off no matter what. You know, I, this is a day off that I have to be with my family. And now we found all these things. We play board games, we're together, we take more walks and it just improves your life so much more and your career because I'm much better at my job now that I'm not afraid of making mistakes. It's just liberated me and I'm so much, because I interact with, with people, I feel so much more at ease, I'm less stressed and they feel it as well. Yeah, so it's that, a chain reaction. Yeah. That's absolutely true.
one of the things I also uh, read, I mean, I, I haven't read your, your articles, but I, I've noted you have a more patient-centered approach as well, a more like caring, humanistic uh, way of, of dealing uh, with patients. Can you comment a bit about that? What would you like to say about that? Sure. I mean, uh, basically my, my interest in being a physician was primarily to be able to talk with people. Um, that's, that's what I conceived of as being a physician. Um, and um, I had many mentors um, uh, during my career, both in medical school and residency and afterwards, who had similar types of orientation and sort of was, was guided in that path because it, it appealed to me. Um, by patient-centered approach, what we mean is, you know, a physician oftentimes will come in and say, uh, why are you seeing me today? And, and they, you know, the immediate, and the patient will say, well, I have this stomach ache. Well, tell me where the stomach ache is, you know, and then go through a whole list of questions about, about the stomach ache. And um, so that the physician is, is directing the entire interview and the entire encounter. Instead, the, the approach that, that we take, and it's a number of us who are involved in the Academy of Communication and Healthcare, which is a, one of the organizations I belong to, is that you, you, you start um, by saying to the patient, you know, okay, what brings you in today? And they say a stomach ache. And instead of immediately starting to drill with questions, say, tell me more about that. Um, and let the patient tell their story. Um, and, <clears throat> and you get much more information that way. Um, I, I, that is not the uh, traditional medical approach, right? So the traditional me medical approach, currently from my experience, is, okay, you have stomach ache, here are some pills, and uh, there you go. You know, but what you're doing is exactly what I'm advocating, and I want more more people to do uh, in, in the medical field as well. But it's just the idea of trying to fix a problem that they say, okay, this is a problem, now you fix it, or your high blood pressure. Here are some pills that will control it. It will control it, but it will not cure it, and it's going to be with me for the rest of my life unless I do something with mm -hmm. it, unless I find the cause here. Right, and that's the patient-centered approach. That's what we also do is to encourage the patient to be involved in their care. Mm -hmm. and, that's and, wonderful. And, because you, and, and I would interact with you and say, tell me what you want to do to, to, to fix this. Mm -hmm. What is it that you, you think you want to do and what you think you can do? And I'll help you with it. And one of the things is also limiting when they say like, no, you cannot be cured or you're, you have no chance of getting better. And I, I generally go against that. I mean, I, I know that some cases seem hopeless, but as long as there's 1% chance, there is a chance. And I think that's something that should be encouraged by, by doctors. We're not going into fantasy. We're not gonna say, oh, everything is fine. And I, I, although I like and appreciate positive thinking, I think it can lead you astray as well. I mean, that's, they can be toxic too, too much positive thinking. But at the same time, we wanna give room. We wanna give them space and say, okay, there is a very slight possibility let's give you some hope and let's let's explore that option it might work probably won't but it might and that might would help us a lot by going that path instead of being discouraged i agree
Yeah, wonderful. And that's that's again something that I think we need. And even like certain words, when when you when we say something, let's say to a friend, and it's like, okay, I'm planning to get better by doing taking this path or trying this out and so on. And a lot of people are immediately cut you off or they say, oh, that won't work and so on. And it's it's kind of one way we want to support people. Of course, if it's a wacky idea, well, we want to tell them it is wacky. But if if it's something that's worthwhile pursuing, um, we want to give them the encouragement. And at the same time, we don't want to be discouraged by what other people say. And that's where we have this gut feeling, this intuition. I say, you know what? You believe that, but I believe otherwise. And I want to go my own path. I might be wrong, but I still want to explore this path. You know, um, in terms of giving patients hope and not, not turning them off, I, I fully agree with that. I, I've seen it firsthand. Um, just to share with you, my, my wife had, uh, was diagnosed with brain cancer 24 years ago. And, um, and it was a type of tumor that sometimes, uh, sometimes responds to chemotherapy and people can live 10 to 15 years or so. But others, it doesn't respond to chemotherapy. And when that happens, they only usually live only about a year or two. Mm -hmm. So um, my wife went through the traditional therapy after a few cycles of chemotherapy, the tumor grew. And we were told by the neurosurgeon that she had probably about a year or two left to live. Oh my God. It's 24 years later, she is still alive. Yes, that's wonderful. Yeah, and and, and it's, it's it's these kind of stories we, we need to hear. So people don't just kind of, because I think a lot of it is our will, our will to live, our will to get better, our will to do good. It comes from an inner desire. And so when, when somebody who is an alcoholic or is a smoker and so on, and they don't have the will to stop, there's no way you can change them. But if they do have it, a lot of people can recover. And that includes also uh, where you have uh, terminal illnesses and so on, of, of fostering that, of not discouraging, of not cutting them off. And I, I, I talk about a lot of these kinds of experiences I've had. I think one of the things that's special about the book is um, there are a lot of books out there that are not too dissimilar, um, where somebody will, you know, say, you know, some advice or something like that, not, not specifically serendipity, but giving advice about life and things. And they'll usually say, uh, either make up fictional characters or they'll say, you know, my cousin or something like that. And you wonder how, how are they professing these things if they haven't had these same experiences? Um, the experiences I detail in the book are all those that happened to me. Um, except for, you know, I, I do use some of the historical examples to flesh it out. But all of the examples I talk about where I went through something are all true examples of things I encountered. And uh, it's it's when you encounter it, when you go through this, and that's why I think I would at some point make a great advocate for, for this, because I am going through this and I can tell you what it feels like. And the same as when we have people who are giving advice to parents and they've never been parents themselves. And it's, you you need that experience. Or so somebody who had suffered, let's say, suffers from, from cancer and uh, talks about it, I think it gives it so much more validity. But the problem is when you have somebody who study the books and I love studying, I am an academic myself, but it's not the full picture. And what you get is just a glance of it, a glimpse. But when you have the experience or you can combine the two, like in your case, that is gives us the full picture. 
And a lot of, in a lot of cases, it's just theory and not so much the actual experience of experiencing pain and suffering and trauma. Yeah, I, I agree. Would you agree? And something that I've learned uh, now recently too, and that has come into perspective is that suffering um, seems like a horrible thing to us initially, but it is such a lesson if we can use it and learn from it. And my, my deepest uh, experiences have come after suffering. When I, uh, when I thought it was the worst thing, I don't want anybody to go through that, but it has also been the best things that have happened to me. And not saying that everyone needs to suffer, but it's just our reaction to it needs to change and to be able to see those signs that are hidden in there, the message that's coming through. It's very difficult though, because when you're going through it, 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 it feels oftentimes like never ending and, mm -hmm. and, and it's a, a very difficult thing to see the positives uh, in, 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 in your own suffering. Um, but, but oftentimes you're right, you do sometimes learn uh, very valuable life's lessons. Mm -hmm. And just just kind of give it time, give it perspective. And so when we have horrible cases uh, now that have gone up of, of suicide rates and, and and people just just giving up. And I, and I think it's 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 really important to see that whatever is happening, however bleak the moment may be, it, there is a way of things getting better, and there, it will get better. Um, what I compare this to is like I see our our true authentic self as the sun. And it's always there, but however, there are these clouds that overwhelm it, but give it time and work towards it. And these clouds will dissipate and you can, you can shine again. And I think a lot of people don't have that hope, don't feel that message, don't feel that connection. And what can we do to really uh, encourage that more for, for people instead of just sending them to, to have therapy, which may or may not work. Um, but I think the goal of all of this is to connect to that self. So, I mean, uh, you know, it's difficult because I think I, 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 I talk a little bit about this in the book also. Um, you know, there, there are people who, who have this persistent um, sort of negative attitude about things. Mm -hmm. uh, I always wanted to do this study. Uh, I haven't done it, but I always wanted to do this study where I show somebody a picture mm -hmm. and there's somebody standing in the doorway and it's pouring rain but often a distance, but the cloud is just here. So often a distance there's sun and a big rainbow. And you ask some people, you know, what do you see in the pic? What's the first thing you see in the picture? And some people will look at it and say, wow, what a beautiful rainbow. Mm. You ask others, you know, what do you see? What's the first thing you see in the picture? And they'll say it's raining. And, um, you know, it's, the, it, it's more than the glass half full or half empty. It's, yeah. it's sort of the entire philosophy of, of your approach to life. Yeah. Um, are you somebody who constantly looks at things and goes, you know, why me? Why am I suffering? Why is life so miserable? Or are you somebody who says, okay, I'm having a bad time now, but I'm expecting things to get better. When I think of that, I mean, if I, the way I imagine it, it's like if he's at the doorframe, it's like just like walk through, you know, go to the other side, you know, walk through it. And that's what I would interpret. And that's how I see uh, how I see things. It's like it's terrible. It's awful. But don't get stuck in it. Move on. You know, move away from it. 
but teaching people to do that can be difficult sometimes. It is. It is absolutely difficult. And it's in the end, they have to take the path. You can, you can basically, like in Buddhism, they say they can show you the map, but you have to do the traveling. And I think that's that's something we need to do. Again, both of us are doing in this case, you with your book and I with my blog, which started 12 years ago, just as an idea, I said, uh, I'm sending these stories to publishers and they're not some of them publish it, some of them don't, but why don't I publish it on my own blog? And it's just like led to so many other things and has grown and I hope continues to grow. And it's it's that kind of seed that we put in, given patience, given hard work. I mean, you have to work hard, nothing comes for free. And it grows into something fruitful and beautiful. I sent my book initially to over 100 agents and over 100 publishers. Mm -hmm. um, with no one being interested until finally I found Boylan Dalton who took a risk with me mm -hmm. and said, this is, this could be something really meaningful uh, and worked with me. And um, hopefully it is meaningful. Yes, and, yeah. and so uh, eventually yeah. sometimes it works out. I, I like the question why, because it, we, I, I love that question, but it also depends on how we're asking it. There's a question that I would like to say, why, why me? Why is this happening? And I'm suffering and so on. Or as in like a curious, why is this happening? What is the purpose behind it? What's the meaning? What can I gain from it? And uh, all my experiences, I, I try to go through that, to see through the filter of like, I might get an answer, I might not, but it's just that kind of quest where I put it into perspective. I try to give it meaning as well. Yeah, Ian Leslie wrote this book about curiosity and, and in it, he talks about the, the, the main, uh, thing you know um, where someone is has the appropriate curiosity is they're asking the question either why or how mm -hmm. why you know why is this so or how did this happen mm -hmm. um, you know and, uh, and and it does take some curiosity to, mm -hmm. to to see that it's challenging to do to be curious in a situation where you're going through a negative experience mm -hmm. um, but if you can maintain some curiosity it's helpful. Mm -hmm. and, and seeing some sort of meaning and uh, the, the thing with, with philosophy too, it's, it's great because it says really an existential philosophy where it's the meaning is the meaning you see in it as well. I mean, these, we have our own lens, our own perspective, and uh, it makes sense to us. And just seeing that and realizing this is how I see it, this has meaning to me, whatever that may be, not of saying, are you right or wrong? But it's like, what is really driving you? What is working for you? What resonates with you? I love that perspective because it's it's not a top-down approach of uh, many religions that tell you this is what you should do or the doctor, as I mentioned earlier, or even like many people just say, no, you are our parents. But uh, working with that person, I, uh, as an instructor, I've always loved the student-centered approach. And I was thinking about it for many years. When I was in university, this was not the case. Now people are saying, yes, you need to be interactive and so on. But even back then, I, I hated the idea that you're an empty vessel and we're going to fill you up. But it's like, no, I'm not empty. I have a lot of stuff already in it, you know, and I want you to appreciate it and work with it and work with me. And uh, it's slowly, and this is the good thing, I think slowly things are changing for the better, even though it doesn't seem like it when we look outside and look at the world and everything that's happening. But I think it's going in the right direction. It's so yeah, absolutely, especially in education. Um, or at least medical education, I can tell you that that's mm -hmm. definitely the case. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and uh, that it's. I mean, I, I love also how you defined uh, your desire to 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 work with others, to talk to them. You're not just like analyzing care a specific virus or anything. You are really engaging the human interaction with it. Not that it's it's, it's there's nothing wrong with with that approach as well. But I, I love that that fact of like the the approach is what is the person feeling? And it's not just, again, a one-sided view, but it's a, a holistic, uh, multi-dimensional uh, approach, which I, I love, and which might explain why I would consider you a, a great Renaissance man, of like a person with different hats that you can, you can put on at any time. Well, I don't know if I'm a Renaissance man, but um, I do have a lot of interests, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and, I do find it fun. Mm -hmm. and, and you do explore that which is yeah. i mean others would just say okay well i don't have the time or no not now but you do you give it time to to grow and i i commend that that's one i think that's important and, and it's important for the individual um because of the fact that you're developing yourself as an individual when you do that mm -hmm. uh, and I, I i talk a lot uh, uh in the book about um that kind of thing where you need to be aware you need to develop yourself you need to be curious um in, including um what we call empathic curiosity that is knowing about people yeah yeah i like i like that concept and also being playful i mean i i think we, we lose that playfulness we take uh, many people take themselves too seriously or their jobs too seriously i mean uh, of course when you're doing surgery you cannot play around right but it's it's that that kind of attitude and openness and that kind of childish curiosity and playfulness that we lose and i think we really need to reconnect with that and it's okay to have fun it's okay to to make jokes and be playful and have a sense of humor as long as you're not making well for me as a physician as long as i'm not making a joke about the patient absolutely yeah yeah, uh, and, and, yeah. And i had wonderful times with my patients in terms of laughing with them and mm -hmm. finding out who they were. And, uh, and I talk about some of those experiences in the book as well. And, yeah, oh, do, yeah. and a healthy sense of humor. Uh, and the thing is many cultures frown upon those things. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you have a sense of humor, it means you're not taking it seriously. You can't smile when you're taking a picture for your driver's license or passport. And I think that's to me, uh, and uh, I apologize if people are offended by this, but I find that ridiculous. I mean, it doesn't mean that the two are not connected. It's like, and that's why when you see uh, Buddhist monks, they always smile. They're always laughing and it's like yes in the pain and suffering they they have but there's also this side of you know i think life is more than just taking everything seriously it's about also having fun of experiencing it of experiencing everything the good and the bad but also with a, a hopeful and playful attitude absolutely Wonderful. I uh, I wish you the very best luck with your book. I'm I'm very glad that you agreed to this interview to come and talk to you and uh, to talk to me and about your experiences as well as this book. And uh, I I hope you the very best serendipitous luck here as well <laughs> and serendipity to um, to become um, to not only become very successful but also to to help others. And thank you for uh, all the things that you are doing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much.